Good morning, and for those who are watching this later on, good day to you. Um, this week I was thinking to myself, I was, my talk with God was, God, I, I knew what I grew up with and what I've ta- been taught about divorce and all that. I see what your posture is. I know how we teach it, but the church has shifted in its approach because I grew up in a church where just divorce was wrong. And if you were divorced and attending the church, if you had been divorced or you married a divorced person or attending the church, you couldn't serve in the church. It was a, it was a lovely church. Like, it really was. I know that might sound, how could it be lovely? It was. It was. They were just a very loving church. But I, I know a couple where they sat. And they're a lovely couple. But they, they couldn't do anything. Because Scripture says, right? That's what the words Scripture says. God's Word says. And uh, my talk to Jesus is, so help me out here. <laughs> I need help. Because I'm having a hard time trying to understand what I grew up with, how the church has shifted in its posture towards this, and yet still some of the language I hear and some of the language I use. And, and basically my prayer was, God, I'm confused. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> Unconfuse me if you can, please. And as I was doing that, I just felt the Lord take me to Genesis 1, chapter 1. And we know Genesis 1. It's the creation it's the creation story. And there's two stories in Genesis on the creation. And Genesis 1 is the first one, first story. And you know how it goes. It's the six days unpacked, right? God created the heavens and the earth, right? Then he created, uh, you know, day and night. And then he created, what, the, separated the waters from the land and then vegetation. And then eventually made his way to when he's going to create animals. <laughs> and then us. And I want to read to you. I was going to read to you the whole chapter, but I thought, no, that's taking a long time. I want to read to you the last portion, the last day six, what is written here in Genesis. And it's not going to be up on the screen. I just want you to hear it. This is what it said. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. You think that God almost likes squirrels, right? He's talking about the the animals that scurry along the ground. That's all I can think of is squirrels and chipmunks. Um, Everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. And as I was reading that, I realized that, because I I just sensed, just read chapter one, was in that chapter, when God creates the humanity, human beings in his image, there is a blessing that God gives. And we talk about, we we talk, I teach, you know, about the original sin. But in chapter one, there's the original blessing that God gives to humanity. 
original intent that God meant for his creation. And it was this whole intent that all of creation, because you see this reiterated throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, that all of creation, that Jesus holds it all together, that Jesus is Lord over it all. And it's, it's everything, everything God said is very good, very good. But obviously, I can, I can just sense joy in God's heart. And we know the rest of the story. Humanity dropped the ball. Relationship with God was shattered. We turned from God and God began pursuing us. And you see this story throughout scripture, story after story, where people turn away from God. God pursues. People turn back. Some people turn back towards God. And he's drawing us back. God is always in this place of drawing us back to God's self. Paul says in Colossians there that in Jesus, everything has been reconciled to him. Everything has. That it's all been brought back. And he's calling us to walk in an attitude of reconciliation to God, to one another, as it was in the original blessing. In the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus exposes, what you see is this fracture that has occurred among humanity. And in one sense, Jesus is laying out what life looks like when we live it from the perspective of the original blessing. And I've come to believe as I pay attention to Paul's writings and Peter's writings and the gospels and listening and just really leaning into what Jesus is saying, the words he's using, that we are called as his disciples to live as if we're in the original blessing, that when we pray, and, and uh, we'll be teaching on this at some point, uh, the Lord's Prayer, where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not waiting for it to happen in the sweet by and by. It's now. But I also have a sense, so I also have this conviction that Jesus is saying, Scott, don't just sit there passively waiting for it. Be it. Live it. Do it. Live it with people. You know, and today I was in, uh, and this is a sidetrack, but it's a good sidetrack. Today in my reading, I, d- I finished Thessalonians and I, had, I, I asked God, where do I go today? And, th- and this little book came to mind. Go to Philemon. <laughs> Philemon. Okay. But what I saw in Philemon, it's a letter from Paul and Timothy to Philemon. It's a fellow worker in, within the church. Paul is in prison in chains. This is a short letter to Philemon about some reconciliation that needs to take place. But what he says to Philemon is, are these words. He's saying, and I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. And it was like, oh, even Paul is saying, live it, <laughs> be it, put it into action. Don't just, you've received it, that's good. Now be it in the world. Be it in the world. And uh, I was just like, yeah, it's it's this thing about being engaged. And, And Jesus, he's calling us in the Sermon on the Mount to be people that live, that bleed the original blessing as we interact with people. That people go, wow, you're different. You don't act like most people. What's up with you? And we get to give reason for our faith. Right? We get to do that. 
And so with that in mind, let us listen, understand, and live what Jesus is trying to say here as we enter now into his next teaching, which is this. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, <laughs> I like that. What do you mean you say? If this is what we say, what, <laughs> you're saying something different? But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Well, so, what's up? Jesus is basically saying, and you have to go back to the the time where Jesus was living and talking to people, understand the culture, Jesus was saying to the religious listeners who are listening, he was saying that just because you follow the principles or the legalities of divorce doesn't therefore make it right. Because that's what they figured they could do. They just follow the legalities and it's all okay. And you have to ask the question, why? Well, It's because it violates loving your neighbor as yourself is why it does. It violates the original blessing. It's not what was intended for followers of God to live like that. And and, and the African phrase I introduced two weeks ago and shared with you last week as well was Ubuntu, that I am only because you are, that my humanity is bound up in yours, that what I do to you affects me as a person. It affects me. So let's, let's talk just a little bit about divorce in Jesus's day. In Jesus' time, in that time, it was a purely patriarchal society. And if you're not sure what that word is, it means it was ruled by men. It was a man rule in that world, in that culture. And women were in the culture, not all women treated this way, but women were seen as a lesser status. Plain and simple. that's, That's just the way it was. The man had the freedom for just about any reason. If he wanted to divorce, he just had to say the word, literally, say the word, and it was basically as good as done. There was not, none of the stuff that goes on today. It was basically done like that. And the man then would give the woman what was called a certificate of divorce. Now, it's, it's used in the Mosaic Law about a certificate And really what it was, was a certificate of innocence. The intent behind it was that if you want to divorce your wife, you are the guilty party. Or if you want to divorce your... Well, let's talk in today's vernacular. If you want to divorce your spouse, you are the guilty party. But in order so that the stigma of adultery and divorce doesn't stay with with, with the person you're married to, you're going to offer a certificate of innocence so that they have that to say they are innocent of this or that has taken place so that stigma doesn't follow them nor the person they marry. That was the deal behind it. That was the deal. That was the understanding. There was that concern that if you want to do that, that's what you give. You give that certificate. Otherwise... 
the stigma of adultery and divorce would follow that woman. And now let's go back to Jesus' day. It would follow that woman. And it was brutal. And even the person, if someone married her, it, it, the stigma was there with them as well. It was, a, it was just a, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a black mark on them, right? It was just a black mark that would just be with them within the village, within wherever they lived. But the truth was, the man was generally going to be okay. <laughs> Nothing much was going to happen to, to him because it was a patriarchal society. Not so for the woman. Three options, basically, were for her. One, she could be taken in by a relative, but generally, if, that, if a relative would take them in, it was generally she would become a servant in that household. Generally, not all the time, generally. The other option is to find a man who would marry you. But you were seen as damaged goods. That's how you were seen. And so even the man, the understanding in marrying you, that's how I'm going to be seen. Keep that in your mind whenever you think about the story of Mary and Joseph. <laughs> okay. And think of Joseph. Okay. Why he would quietly just, you know, he could have. That was an option for Joseph, but he didn't. The other option was, God forbid, it could be prostitution. Enter in that, because you've got to support yourself. You've got to do something, because no one's going to have any part of you. Right? You've been dismissed by your husband. Now, thank God none of those options are the case today. Uh, today, the civil courts have ensured that a divorced person should never be left high and dry. Uh, a divorced person is mostly, generally, generally, the intent is that they are not just put out, but that they are that there is some provision for them, but doesn't mean it always happens. But in order to correctly understand what Jesus is saying in that little teaching in those three sentences, we must hear his words through the lens of the royal law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. You have to go back to the original blessing of why, what the pain that is caused in this whole act of divorce, that what's going on here. And, you know, as I think about this, I think the difference between the religious leaders and listeners of Jesus' day, and us as well, I think the difference between us is that we fail to go to the root of the issue. And I see sometimes that we are like people who address, I compare us as people who address their weeds in their lawn. Because when the weeds come up and your neighbors have perfect lawns, <laughs> that's not good, right? Because you don't want to be the blight in the neighborhood, right? But you know the answer to that? A lawnmower. A lawnmower just makes everything green again. And you can stand back from a distance and go, hey, that's not too bad. <laughs> that looks pretty good. It's green. <laughs> Except, you know what the next day is like, right? Next day, sun comes out, you go to work, come back. Oh, they're back. <laughs> Little yellow heads all poking up. Nope, we're here. <laughs> you tried. And that's what we're sort of like, right? We, uh, we, we address, we, we mow it. We don't go to the root because if you want to deal with the weeds in your lawn, you got to pull, you got to get rid of the root, 
right? You have to. That's what's nice about those Fisker things, right? They get down and pull the root out, some of it, most of it. And so Jesus, as I've said in the sermon, Jesus is always dealing, he doesn't deal with the behavior. Why? Because that's cutting all the weeds off at the above ground. He goes with the root, the heart. Goes, looks at the heart. He wants to expose this. Just saying, no, don't, you can't divorce, is cutting the weeds. Jesus wants to go deeper. That's what he's doing. And the root that Jesus exposes, you have to go over to Matthew 19. And Matthew 19 is an interesting story and account there. Jesus is down by the Jordan River, and he's healing people, so it says. <laughs> Which would be, that'd be cool to see, right? But some Pharisees come along, and they have a plan to trap Jesus. Because they got a question for Jesus. And what always amazes me is, so you come together, maybe two, three, four of you, I don't know, however many it was, to think about how can we trap this guy? Because they want to get rid of him, right? Because he's disrupting everything. And they find where he's at, and there's a healing going on. There's healings. <laughs> and they have a question for him that has no, they're not related to the healings. And you want to go, do you not see what he's doing? <laughs> like, what are, you, what are you guys doing? What are you, like, aren't, why aren't you going, wow, how is that healing happening? What are you doing? Who are you? Why is this so amazing? We haven't seen so many people healed. Well, they don't even do that. It's like, you're missing something. It's just, I, find it, I just find it really weird. But anyway, they come to Jesus, and they have a question. The question is, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? You know where Jesus goes? where he goes goes back to the original blessing that's where he goes he goes if you go back if you remember the beginning when everything started god's intent was for the two to become one and if god brings two people to be one nobody should separate that it goes right back to the original blessing right and their response their response is well so, why did Moses then allow that a man could give a certificate of divorce and send her away then? Because Moses did that, right? <laughs> you know, if you were a lawyer for the Pharisees, you would say, just shut up. <laughs> okay, go away. <laughs> and Jesus exposes the root. Because Jesus says to them, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Unless, of course, his wife has been unfaithful. Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he says, on this, on this particular passage, but also looped into what was said in the Sermon on the Mount. 
He says, quote, it is the hardness of heart that Jesus cites as grounds for permitting divorce in, a ca- in case of adultery. In other words, the ultimate grounds for divorce is human meanness. I'm going to put that word up there, those two words up there. Human meanness. What was foremost in his mind was the fact that the woman could quite well wind up dead, brutally abused, And if the man could not, dump her. And he continues, better then that a divorce occurs than life be made unbearable. And Jesus does nothing to retract this principle. It's human meanness. That's the root that Jesus is going after here. And that's what he's exposing in his teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. So then the question that is generally asked, is it right to divorce? And I, and I would argue that right probably isn't the correct approach to answering this question. Probably a better question, is it ever necessary to divorce? And let me tell you, in my 20 plus years in policing, and one of the common calls to get is for a domestic, I would say absolutely. Absolutely, because some of the stuff I saw was just horrendous. Just horrendous. And I was so happy. I could never have been more happier when, they, when the log changed and they told police, you don't have a choice in deciding whether you arrest the person or not who's, who's caused the abuse. You arrest them. You will arrest them. You will take them before a justice of the peace and, and they will be charged. You do not have a say in that. Best thing it was for, for marriages. And, got, and folks, it's like 95% it was the men who are abusing the women. And it just woke guys up like, yeah, take it seriously. This is brutal. It's human meanness is what was going on and what goes on in some places. That's what it was. It is absolutely right sometimes for divorce to take place. Dallas Willard states, we must, quote, we must resist any attempt to classify divorce as a special, irredeemable form of wickedness. Look, I see divorce, the whole thing of the act of divorce, similar to the act of of a wedding ceremony that takes place. Wedding ceremonies don't make a marriage, Wedding ceremonies are a response, a public response and a public acknowledgement of what's already present or supposed to be present in the heart of those two people, love and a commitment of lifelong unity. The act of divorce isn't what breaks a marriage. It is a response to what's already present in the marriage. It's meanness. That's there, that's present. It's disunity and it's a collapse of the royal law, totally. And that's what Jesus is exposing. That's what he's exposing. He's just saying, this is what it is. You want to talk about it, let's talk about it. This is what it's all about. Even Paul, Paul never thought of divorce as an absolute no. In his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 7, he says these words. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insist on leaving... Let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. And then finally, I want to I address a phrase we hear. We hear, we see, it's written in books, and it's the phrase of, God hates divorce. That's the answer. 
And I have to say, when we say that, it's like we're dealing with the weeds with a lawnmower. We're not getting to the root. And I say that for a few reasons. And again, I'll, you know, guys, like when I was in um, the town of Brighton, the church that we attended, there was a family whose husband, the husband, they attended church, whose husband was abusing the wife. You know what I'm talking about? They were abusing the wife. And, and the elders of our church told her, you can't leave. Because God doesn't want that. God hates divorce. And I was hoping, I hope when I'm on duty, I get a call to go there. Because I'm going to arrest your butt. I'm going to drag you out of there. You ever do that? And I hear the phrase, and I understand it. I understand why we say it. It is quoted from Scripture, God hates divorce. But there are two problems with that statement, just making that statement. One, one problem, it's taken out of context. Totally taken out of concept, context. It's easy to pull little phrases out of Scripture and go, bang, see? That's what God's Word says. It's easy to. But you've got to take it into context of why that phrase is made. The other problem with it is it fails to ask the question. You've got to pose the question, why does God hate divorce? Why? Why do you hate it? Well, that passage that has that phrase in it comes in from the Old Testament. And it's one of the prophets who mentioned it, who God spoke through that prophet. And remember what Jesus said about the great commandment and what we call the golden rule. That these statements, loving, your, loving God with all your heart, everything, all, your soul, mind, body, everything, and loving your neighbor as yourself, all the laws and the prophets hang from that commandment. Okay? So this is a prophet, that God's speaking through a prophet. And this is what God says in Malachi chapter 2. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. And here's where it gets taken out of context because it forgets this next part. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. That's the heart of God. God hates divorce because it's that, because it violates love your neighbor as yourself. And folks, your spouses are your closest neighbor. And when you fail to love them, it doesn't matter if you go and love the person on the street or love the person who is homeless or love, you know, any other person you come across. If it's not happening in the home, you've got a problem, not with the enemy, you've got a problem with God. Because he hates it. Because why? You know, I'll finish here, all right? It says, it says the Lord, so guard your heart, do not be unfaithful to your wife. That's Malachi. Listen, bottom line, God is on the side of the oppressed. Right? And the oppressed isn't just people who are in slavery or people in other countries where there's dictators or stuff like that. Yes, God is majorly there with people who are oppressed. But let me tell you something. There are oppressed people in upper-class neighborhoods, in your neighborhood, 
in upper middle class, middle class, lower class, who are oppressed, who are living in the walls of oppression of their, what's supposed to be their home. And it's hell for them day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. And they don't know how to break the cycle. God is with them. Why? Because that's not the original. That's not loving your neighbor as yourself, which Paul says is the royal law. James says it's the royal law, right? It's, It's the law we live by. It's us. You cut us, we should bleed that. We should bleed that. He is with those who are degraded. He's with the abused. He is with the betrayed. He is with those who walk with broken hearts and dreams. He's with those who have had to live with cruelty in their home as their constant companion. Brutal. Brutal. Jesus exposes that. Divorce exposes the human meanness that is contrary to the kingdom because it violates the royal law, the original blessing. God weeps for our broken marriages and family units. He does. Weeps, 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 weeps. I want to close off with a part from Psalm 34. David penned it. And it says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's the God we serve. He's a God who, who loves us passionately. And uh, we look, we dress up really well. We clean up well as a church when we come to church. We really do. There's a lot of people who come to church and there's just bleeding on the inside. There's internal bleeding going on. Just internal, just pain. It's just pain. But they, can wear, they put on a good front, you know. There's people, let me tell you, there's people that go to church and they look like the holiest of people. The most knowledgeable, the most biblical, the most whatever. <laughs> they go home and they beat the crap out of their wives. Emotionally, physically, psychologically. That's not right. And it happens the other way too. I've seen it. I've seen it where women can be abusive as well. That's not right. Not right. If you're listening to this, and maybe you experience this, Maybe you've experienced, maybe you're living in this place right now. And for those of us who are here, if you're living in this, you need to know God is with you. God is for you. God does not intend for you to live in a place of abuse and oppression and being put down. That's never, that was never, ever God's intent for human beings. Never. Everyone, man and woman, were created in God's image. We are sacred. We are sacred. Not sacred because of who we are and what we do. We are sacred because God created us. When I look at you, you are a creation of God. You are a creation of God. That's what you are. I just want to just ask the Holy Spirit to come right now and just come and minister. I don't know how God says, call the people, let them gather, and I'll come and heal their hearts. So, Father, I, we, just, we invite you, Holy Spirit. We say, come, Holy Spirit, come right now. Let your kingdom come to people who are listening, to people who are here. Let your kingdom come. Father God, we thank you that we serve a God who, is, who models for us what it means 
to love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself, who models what it means to lift up, who models what it means to have compassion, that you care for us, God, that you are the one who takes, you compare yourself to a hen who gathers her chicks under her wing and holds them close. You are the good shepherd who watches over and protects us from the evil attacks. You are the God, Lord, who, who walks with us through the difficult times, but who is a God of restoration. You are a God of deliverance. You are a God who sets people free like we sang today. So, God, we pray for your mercy and justice to roll. Let it come, Father. Let it come. Let your Holy Spirit come right now. Come and heal the hearts that have experienced brokenness. Come and restore dreams to people. Come and bring wholeness into families. Lord, we lift up the kids in these broken homes, Lord, who, Lord, it's not fair because they don't get to start out on the right foot. God, let us be a people who, who live the original blessing. Let us be a people who live, love your neighbor as yourself, who do that. Let us be known for that. Bless you.